on this January 20th, Inauguration Day in the United States. Uh, we welcome for the weekly update Malcolm Honline, who's Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, and joins us for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be back with you. It'd be good to be A back lot. here. Oh, that's right. Welcome back. Last week, of course, in Israel. Um, well, there are many people who are curious about your impressions as we're just hours away from a new president. Let, let's begin with this as you as you um, as we start to explore some of the things you might expect over the next four years. Let, let's begin with the outgoing president. Uh, we saw the uh, actions that he's taken over recent days regarding pardons, commutations, etc. Do you know if there was ever serious discussion about? Uh, a complete uh, pardon or commutation of the restrictions that still remain on Jonathan Pollard? Well, certainly it was raised uh, with them many times uh, for him, Rubashkin, other cases. And uh, there's still an expectation that we'll find out the announcement of uh, hundreds of names that he pardoned late yesterday. Uh, we don't know yet who's on the list and who's not, but we don't anticipate much anymore. It's very disappointing, uh, but so I can say that it certainly was discussed with them. I, I don't know what the internal machinations were. And it, it would be highly unlikely at this point, as you just said, that those two names that you mentioned would be on the list. Is there any possibility, or, or do you know of anything that might be happening behind the scenes, that the reverse might happen, and an incoming president in his first few hours would go ahead and grant some type of clemency or pardon to them or others? That would be unusual, uh, and I don't know how the incoming president will feel about um, about uh, Jonathan or any of the other cases, but I certainly hope that in the course of his term, and especially as we get to the occasions when normally pardons are issued, that uh, they will be considered. There's a committee, uh, that's one way of putting it, a group of people that are here from different cities around uh, Judea and Samaria, uh, in Israel, including the mayor of Malay Al-Dumim, who are attending today's ceremony in Washington. They'll be at the inauguration of President Trump. And uh, they are here, it seems, at least the way it's being uh, painted in the media, uh, to ask for or lobby for annexation of cities like Malay Al-Dumim. Um, doesn't this seem like a fruitless pursuit? Because in reality, the only ones that could possibly control this agenda are the government of the state of Israel? They are the primary party in this case. Uh, I don't know whether it's just to show the flag or they, they really seriously uh, consider that uh, this will make a difference. The fact is that, that people certainly today are focused on other things. I think members of Congress, others, uh, would not consider this the, the, you know, the first priority of the new administration. We'll have to see what the president, uh, once he's in office, if he lives up to his you know, stated uh, intention of undoing a lot of the actions taken by the president over the last few weeks, and we don't even know many of them. Uh, also, this is a, a process. It's not an instant decision that can be made about recognition, um, certainly not by the United States. They cannot give the recognition even if they support it. And my feeling always is that you've got to give an administration time to find their footing to get their people approved. So the cabinet hasn't been uh, approved. The appointed, I think, the last cabinet position only last night, uh, the Secretary of Agriculture. And it takes, a, a, you know, the first 100 days 
are, are usually an adjustment period. People have to, to get along. We have to see what the style will be. Will he be uh, like Obama, uh, an aggregator of power into the White House? Will he be a delegator like George Bush II? Will he uh, find some new model uh, where he will continue to tweet and, and formulate policy that way? Or will he engage in an intensive process, which he says he will and says that he has lined up uh, the highest, I think, IQ group, he said, uh, of advisors. Every president has his own style, and, you, and sometimes forcing issues at too early a stage can be counterproductive. Yeah, so the big question, of course, then, as I started with, is, is what your impressions are, but I guess that's really your answer. You have to see how things go at the beginning and start to evaluate you know, from that point forward uh, the type of presidency he's going to have. It, 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 in some ways... An incoming president wants to make an immediate mark. You mentioned some of the you know actions he plans on taking in the first few days, executive orders that he's spoken about, etc. Issues like immigration, Obamacare, etc. And at the same time, I would think even the president himself and his staff would would know that they have to give it a little bit of time and you know learn the landscape in Washington. Although I don't know with this president, it doesn't. It, sometimes it feels like he. He might feel he knows better than some of the other people that have been in Washington for so many years, and I don't know. I don't know if uh, you know an adjustment period might even be necessary in his own mind, frankly. Whether in his mind it's necessary, the fact is that these are complex issues. I, I just came back from, you know, say, from the Persian Gulf, and uh, you know, when you go out into the region and you see firsthand, uh, you know, the, the seriousness of the issues. Uh, you're reminded about how difficult, how, how great the challenges are, and the great opportunities that he has. I think rushing into them is, is not the best way, and he has thoughtful people around him who will temper, I think, some of the direction. I hope his enthusiasm and his uh, willingness to stand up and to be tough is something that they, the countries around the world are looking for. They want to see America lead the West especially against Iran and, and against uh, other enemies of, of common enemies. Th- these are, are, are really hard and difficult issues, and you have to build up the capacity to do it. You have to have a coherent process of information flow and, and decision-making. That takes time. I, this president is not getting a honeymoon. He's going to go right into challenges. I think you have a re- Republican Congress that wants to make marks also and, and has a heavy agenda from what they've told me. So people, you know, I, I, you, if you raise expectations falsely, people will be disappointed, but they have to be realistic. And that's true of any administration. Um, there'll be, there'll be tremendous, rep- I mean, the truth is, if you think about it, I, I, I would assume the same thing happened when President Obama was inaugurated, just a little bit of a different crowd, maybe we should say, uh, but there'll be tremendous representation of our community nationwide at the inauguration today, correct? I believe so. You know, and there are special Shabbos programs. It's uh, it's unfortunate it's on a Friday and the Shabbos, which eliminated, I think, some uh, many people from from going who wanted to go. Those who really want to go, I'm sure, worked it out. They have uh, programs. I think several, in fact, with uh, different meals and minyanim uh, that people can attend. But uh, I think they're, they're, if you look at the ca- at the government. Not just the cabinet, but other positions. We're seeing some very interesting appointments. Which I guess we'll, you know, we'll all get to see uh, uh, yeah. in the coming days. Um, but yeah, man, uh, they are uh, from 
those that I know, there are some very interesting appointments. Uh, he also, uh, President-elect, uh, who's going to be president in just over four hours, he, he speaks about the Middle East peace deal being the toughest peace deal, and that if his son-in-law cannot negotiate that peace deal, nobody can. Uh, I guess he, he feels his son-in-law is a, <laughs> an expert negotiator and a great deal-maker like himself. Um, many people in our community start to get wary and start to fear when presidents, even Republican presidents, you know, start to talk about peace deals and the inevitability of trying to pursue one. Um, yet, I guess on the other side of the issue, there is such a thing as we've seen with certain countries as an effective security-laden peace deal that Israel can make. So when you hear that this incoming White House is, is so anxious to make a deal and to take it on as the toughest challenge you know, anywhere on the globe, what are your thoughts? Well, it is a very complex issue, and there will be pressure to follow up the Paris agenda. If you look what this new Secretary General of the United Nations, Guterres, laid out as his uh, priorities in terms of the Middle East, I and mean, given all the other situations, I'd, I would like to have seen him come up with a somewhat different set of priorities. But his he, he talked about implementing the UN resolution, and, and there is a quarterly report that's required about settlements, and he said that he's going to appoint people, send UN personnel into the West Bank to monitor settlement construction and housing construction. He talked about uh, more aid to the UN from the uh, UA, UA from the UN to the PA, Palestinian Authority, uh, both from the international donors and from UN specialized agency. Despite all the waste, all the diversion, all the the knowledge they have now, and he should have about how corrupt it is and how. Um, money, 300 and some million dollars of budget going to terrorists and supporting those who killed Jews. Then he talked about uh, the, the Paris conferences as a basis for a sustainable process, a two-state process. I mean, the whole agenda, the, the P5 plus one working on, a, on the Security Council resolution basis for two-state solution and a, and a framework uh, that they would develop, the world learns very little when it comes to this issue. And here the U- U.S.'s presence and the reason why this, whether it's Jared Kushner or somebody else, having the authority of the president and really a commitment to go behind it matters. And it matters when, when the countries don't know what to expect from this president. Fear is a major factor. It's a big issue. And, and, and now today, the situation in many areas, people have, have been so obsessed with the presidency, they don't look at what's happening, for instance, in Gaza, where Hamas and ISIS are cooperating uh, much more, where you see the uh, the number of demonstrations by the people against Hamas, but at the same time, Hamas now uh, serving as uh, as a conduit for ISIS and and uh, setting up an information base there, which enabled them to carry out more attacks in uh, in Egypt and resulting in more Egyptian soldiers um, uh, being killed. Hamas then put it, allowing ISIS to, to smuggle stuff through the tunnels under the border between Gaza and Sinai, and blatantly does so by putting a tax on the goods. I mean, it's, you know, people would laugh at it if, they, if it weren't so serious. So the issues there today are, are so complex that a peace process can't be taken out of the context of all the dynamic. And I, and I think that... Um, the president-elect uh, recognized this in some of his comments during the debates and, and discussions. I hope that will hold true. And we also have to see what is the attitude. You've seen some of the statements by the uh, Secretary of State 
designated, it's not been approved yet, and others. Right. We're going to have to see how they all meld together. <clears throat> Uh, just since you mentioned it, um, the Hamas ISIS alliance, we're, we're going to have to see. <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to have to see more of an uh, of, a, of um, an active role on the part of certain Arab nations in the Middle East uh, in, in order for, in order for this Hamas ISIS alliance to be stopped. Right? I mean, there's certain countries that who, who n- normally seem to sit these these things out that they have to step up if they're going to quell this alliance. Well, it's, it was negotiated by the Russians, essentially, uh, certain uh, unofficial Russian mediation, at least. And um, they are, uh, one of the things they came up with is that they asked the Russians to convince the president not to move the embassy to Jerusalem. Uh, but we, we've seen this so many times in the past. It's, it's not a real unity. It's, it's a matter of convenience because, you know, they keep saying you need to have a united front if you're going to have negotiations. I think, again, concern about the Trump administration moving in new directions in the U.S.-Israel relations is motivating them, and that the um, I wouldn't put too much stock in in the seriousness of the merger, especially knowing that Abbas, you know, is on his last legs and they don't have elections and they don't want elections. The uh, Hamas might because they think they might win. So take it with a grain of salt. So Egypt and Jordan and countries like that don't have to play a more active role. You're saying it's more. I don't know, symbolic? An internal dynamic, but Egypt has been acting, and certainly about in, in Gaza, uh, and against uh, Hamas and, and trying to destroy tunnels, uh, acting in many ways uh, to try and contain it. The, the, the last thing they want is this uh, ISIS being given the support, and it makes them more and more angry at, uh, at Hamas. And the, uh, you know, the question then is, who, who's going to provide uh, uh, funding to them? This is a source uh, of money uh, for for Hamas, uh, having lost some of their international or other Arab support in in uh, the last months and, and years. So it's uh, yes, they do have a role to play. Jordan, not so much in Gaza. Egypt, much more in Gaza, but Jordan certainly in terms of the situation in, uh, in the territories. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world in the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on our beloved NSN app. Speaking to you from Greensboro, North Carolina, believe it or not, where we're looking forward to uh, heading to Charlotte and spending Shabbat with the Oppenheim family, Rabbi Oppenheim, and the amazing work that he's doing down in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Malcolm Holmline in New York, and uh, we're all, all, all of our eyes, it seems, around the world are on Washington, D.C., as we are hours away from President Trump, the inauguration of the brand-new president. It'll be interesting to speak a week from now <laughs> to see what he, in fact, has done in the first week and to look back uh, a week from now at the uh, very first few days of his presidency. By the way, I, I mean, I know we always mention this, but the, again, the White House press secretary, the incoming, I should say, White House press secretary, has announced that there will be a, um, a major announcement regarding the embassy soon. You, you've spoken about, uh, just in terms of logistics and calendar, that this is a move that likely, that in many scenarios can't be made, you know, at least for a few months, but it looks like the, the new White House is, is ready in the first few days to say something concrete about it. Yes, they can make a statement, they can talk about the intent, they can lay out a plan, um, and then they may actually do some symbolic thing right away in, in terms of hanging a sign in Jerusalem. Uh, we'll have to see, as you know, the threats of, of action and reaction uh, yeah. exist over and over again, and you can't dismiss it because it becomes a rallying point and a diversion 
Uh, certainly the PA and, and the boss have been threatening everybody everywhere about it. The uh, And I know there's a lot of fear in some of the Arab countries about it because this appeals to the street, and then they right away go to Al-Aqsa, which is the focus of their propaganda, that somehow Al-Aqsa will be seized, which, of course, we know is not true, but most people don't know. They don't understand what what it really means. West Jerusalem was always part of Israel, is always going to be part of Israel. It's not a matter of dispute. I think East Jerusalem will also always be part of Israel. But we're talking about putting an embassy in, in an area which is declared, defined, designated by the international community as Israel. Um, this week there was, a, speaking of Israel, uh, this week an Israeli policeman was killed in a um, in a clash with uh, Bedouins as they were trying to um, um, dismantle illegal uh, building that was going on uh, in the Negev area. Uh, could you give us an update on Bedouin activity in in the southern part of Israel? Because it, it, it seems I haven't heard a lot about it yet recently, but it seems now, uh, based on what I read after this story, that the that it's basically an uncontrollable situation at this point. Uh, it is a very difficult uh, situation because the Bedouin population is expanding and they take ter- land uh, without permits, build without permits, and you're, and you're talking about significant segments of the Negev. And Israel has tried to build uh, housing or more urban-oriented or suburban-oriented, uh, which take, you know, where people are more concentrated. Some of this has posed security threats. Some of it is opposed, has imposed on areas where other construction was supposed to take place, where housing, for even for people taken out of, uh, still out of, uh, out of Gaza, uh, so they impinge on the areas. And this was a, a move to, to demolish what was con- completely illegal construction. And um, the action of, of one of the people... Uh, was now defined or is being defined as an act of terror, that it was not just a simple reaction or, or uh, incident. The, uh, the and, and the radicalization of the Bedouin population, certainly on the other side, but it, uh, it, it's in both sides, it's, um, it's a really serious concern. And the, the, um, the governments have neglected for very long the, uh, these activities, the expansion. And when you look at a map of... of the Negev, you see clearly the infringement and impingement. Uh, Bedouins should be give, granted their rights and, and are, are native to the area, but you know they they often engage in illegal activities. They they cross border activities. And now the wall that went up between Egypt and the Negev, um, Egypt and Israel, uh, certainly has impinged on their smuggling activities. I mean, this is. This is a way, God forbid, to lose a significant portion of the land of Israel. I mean, I know you know that. I'm just saying that people need to know and, and realize how severe this is. And, and they shouldn't just buy some of the newspaper headlines. Read the stories, the investigation that's going on, and, and what the situation This is a longstanding um, tension that's been growing and growing, and where the Jewish populations uh, have felt the, uh, you know, we've seen crime rise, other things. And uh, it's not a population that has lent itself to the development, to, to um, urbanization, and mm-hmm. to uh, integration in a more in a more comprehensive way. Where they, but but becomes then a rest of population as well. 
All right, I know you mentioned this before in passing when you were talking about the uh, the incoming administration's attitude toward the peace process, but what in fact happened in Paris? Was there anything of significance that took place last weekend? The most significant thing is what didn't take place. And if you remember uh, over the last the two weeks before, I said that I thought nothing will come of it, especially after the reaction to Kerry's speech uh, the, uh, and the debate about whether Kerry would go, and he announced that he would go, before, and I, I said that last Friday, but that I said there would not be any follow-up UN action, uh, not only because I got it in writing from the administration, I made him put it in writing that they wouldn't do so, right. uh, but but because I think the reaction uh, was so negative and and. Uh, this was pushed by the French. They're going to continue to push it, as I mentioned, Guterres's uh, own references. But uh, by and large, it, it, it was born. It was still born. The foreign minister of Russia didn't go. The foreign minister of Britain, and they deserve the credit because they spiked it there, and they spiked it at the EU, which tried to adopt the uh, Kerry principles of the resolution, and the British uh, opposed it and and didn't uh, wouldn't go along with it. Uh, I don't believe that the Kerry principles are dead. I still think that people will attempt to resurrect it. I think the administration will not uh, go that route, uh, but we will have to see, uh, knowing that the majority of the countries of the world will still press, quote, for the, 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 a two-state solution that they don't define, uh, continue to criticize Israel singularly, um, with all of the other uh, issues that that. Uh, abound. I mean, Iran's activities progress in all over, and you see it, as I said, in the Gulf, how extensive what they're doing against Bahrain, what they're going to do threatening the other countries and um, the new missiles that they're and the new planes they're buying. Everything that they're doing in violation often of Security Council resolutions and nothing done. I was reading in, in detail what you had mentioned either last week or the week before, how they're using civilian airlines to literally ship equipment and fighters to Syria at this point. That's right, and, and and 118 Airbuses and 100 Boeing planes supposedly to be sold to them. I, I don't believe it'll be consummated completely, or I, I think on the new administration it'll be more difficult, and especially if we get new banking um, sanctions in place. Uh, I don't believe that they can tear up the JCPOA. I'm not sure even it's the wise way, the most effective way right now. Right now I would like to see more sanctions that, again, affect their ability to finance uh, uh, terror we know what the um, what they've been saying again, and the the aggressiveness of of uh, their their uh, uh, comments. But their economy is in ruins. We can put a lot of pressure on them, and uh, you, you know that they say the foreign capital investment in the, the capital markets was up forty percent. But it depends on what basis. What the, they use as the base to say it's up forty percent. They don't say how much. It's up just uh, uh, giving a. Uh, a number and they have a lot of internal problems. We know that the the dissension amongst the people is growing all the time, and I think the the you know the threats to retaliate against the Iran Sanctions Act extension they withdrew it because they're afraid of the new administration. That's the leverage. You got to show them that we mean it, and if it's tested, we got to prove it. We fired warning shots against the ship, and you know how long I. I've advocated that you got to do it. They will do nothing if they see us react strongly. And they did nothing. And that's the way that, we've got to deal with them. That's another reason why the first week, as I said earlier, but in reality, in, in more in reality, as you said, the first hundred days are, are going to be so urgent when it comes to foreign policy, just to see if, in fact, the world looks at the United States as being much tougher. Again, we can compare, as we did a few weeks ago, the Carter-Reagan transition, you know, how different 
the perception of the United States was once he became president. It'll be interesting to watch over the next few days if there's a different attitude from you know, Middle Eastern countries, specifically Iran, when it comes to the Trump administration. And to see a coherent message from all the members of the administration, it has to be thoughtful. I don't want to see, you know, just wild actions or statements because you're going to be tested. But when I see how Rasvan Johnny, you know, who died recently, the former president, and and you see him lionized as a, as a moderate, as, you see how the press continues the distortions, the lies. This is the guy responsible for the bombing in Argentina. This is the guy who killed our, our people and killed many Americans responsible for the murder of Americans. And now he's he's lionized as some sort of um, he was the the speaker in the in the eighties. He was the president in the nineties when many terrible things uh, took place. And and yet you see that that. The, the issues are hardly addressed uh, regarding Iran, the, the story not told about what's really happening, nor what's happening in Europe, nor what's happening in, in, uh, in Syria today. Um, I, I meant to bring it up last week. I think I'd run out of time about, his, uh, about Rafsanjani's death. And I knew that the media reports would get under your skin because it's amazing how people, I mean, I, I wouldn't say they're calling him the lion of peace, but they certainly paint him as a... Uh, as a moderate, and I'm glad you remind everybody about the things he was responsible for, including major attacks in different parts of the world. Um, speaking of attacks, by the way, is it just that the media is picking up on these things now, or maybe I'm noticing it more you know, from Jewish media sources, but is, is there in fact a tremendous spike in bomb threats in JCCs and schools across the United States? Yes, there have been two major incidents in the last month, one this week, again, where 17 Jewish community centers received phone calls. Uh, the last time, I think, was also a similar number uh, around the country. Thank God none of these materialized. Uh, so it's not attacks, it's just uh, threats of attacks, but because of the number of incidents, it gets more attention. Uh, but this is unfortunate. There is a sh- an increase in the number of, of uh, threats on an ongoing basis, and we've had seen even an increase in the number of anti-Semitic incidents, including physical assaults. That should not be dismissed. It's the reason why we pressed so hard for all these years about uh, schools and schools and others uh, instituting security measures in thoughtful ways uh, and to organize and to, to uh, underscore the need for awareness, and, and especially as children come in and out of school, but also as people come to Dobbins, go to services uh, and, and, and events at the different institutions, we should not take it for granted. And, and they should liaison with the local police and go to the ScanUS, scnus.org website to get a lot of advice and resources that are available to, to them for free. And you say two major incidents, which means the most recent, you know, 17 calls, whatever the exact number is, is one major incident. I, I would think it's these days. Same before. Exact same thing before. Right. I would think these days with technology tracking, et cetera, that it would be relatively easy to, you know, to find out who's responsible for this. Am I, <laughs> am I disillusioned on this? Well, they're certainly tracing it, uh, uh, but, you know, people can disguise them because of technology. You have counter technology, which also helps obscure uh, source people can call via many different ways. Uh, and it may be just one person who got a list, uh, you know, a phone list uh, or saw a published list online of the JCCs and decided um, 
you know, looked up Jewish, found Community Center, which is one of the first that you'll find, and, and mm-hmm. made the phone call. So it doesn't mean that there is really this widespread conspiracy, but the events in Montana and other things have highlighted and made people more aware. And because of the general tensions in society, especially what we saw arise sometimes during the election and post-election, uh, we we cannot dismiss it. And frankly, the most important place to be concerned about is what's happening on campus, where we do have, uh, we've had so many physical assaults, and, and physical assaults, I mean, can take many forms, but but certainly confrontations and, and manifestations of anti-Semitism and holding universities and everyone to account. And one day we should devote a show to talking about all the measures that we're doing. There are a lot of measures in before Congress uh, that will help address this, including the def- adopting the definition of anti-Semitism by the uh, Department of Education, so that there will be a basis for more coherent action against universities that don't act. Yeah, and and I mean, I would think that security personnel and uh, uh, university administrations would be anxious to act and show that they're being proactive when it comes to these things. Are you are you are you suggesting that they? would need some type of federal law or, or urging from Washington to, to jump into action on these matters? I'm saying that many university administrations are reluctant even and hesitant to act. Some have refused to act. Some have had to be forced to act. Uh, some have responded. Many of them seem to be unaware. I, I had an instance where I was directly involved with one university president, and it was truly an act of ignorance and, and innocence that he responded to an incident and then, once made aware, became very vigorous, which means that parents, alumni, donors have to be much more active, proactive in in uh, focusing on, on institutions. I know one who underwrote a major investment in a, in a university and it wrote the president this week and said, I'm going to withdraw my money because of the actions I became aware of at a really prestigious university and where they refused to allow um, pro-Israel speakers and uh, found discrimination, not by the university's imprimatur or backing, but uh, the test is what what do they do once they find out yeah exactly that's why i thought that they would jump into action and try to quell these things i didn't realize that so many of them are avoiding doing that it's good many, that's our and, and look at look at the university of california all the institutions there uh, and efforts to go to the administration our lawfare project has is pressing legislation uh, we've prosecuted some very important uh, cases not necessarily going to legal prosecution but threatening and having lawyers ready to act and enacting legislation where we do have success uh, in getting legislators to act against uh, and to establish rules uh, for for institutions of higher education that receive funding from, from state governments. Right. Um, how soon after today, after the inauguration, will Washington and or Jerusalem announce uh, the date for Prime Minister Netanyahu's visit to the U.S.? Well, I know they had some uh, trips. He was supposed to go to Australia and New Zealand. He was supposed to go to Davos this past week and did not go. I don't know how much the investigations will affect his travel schedule, uh, but I, I think it could be uh, a visit in, in the near future. I think he, they all, everybody wants to be amongst the first because it sends an important message, but I think the the exchanges between the president and the prime minister have sort of already put that marker down, and he has concerns about the you know this investigation. If it starts to fizzle, then I think he'll be much freer to come and 
if he goes to Australia, I guess it'll have to be March or April or something. Well, you were just in Israel. Are you getting, and I'm so curious about this, as you heard from my questioning last week, do you think it's starting to fizzle? I mean, is it something that's going to die out? I don't think it's going to die out. Uh, And again, it's hard for them now to to ascribe it to political motives because the the attorney general was somebody who's worked for Netanyahu, was certainly close to him. And uh, they're investigating more and more people. They summoned his son this week. Uh, I know other people who who were summoned to to call. There was a general sense amongst the populace that uh, they believe these charges or that some of the charges of truth doesn't make them criminal. It may be improper, but doesn't make it necessarily a basis for criminal action. So mm-hmm. people should be patient, not jump to conclusions. Uh, there is nobody who's breathing down Bibi's neck for, for an election because nobody is perceived as a, as a likely inheritor or successor. But at some point, you know, it, it, people get tired of it, and, and you can't have this constant shadow. Unfortunately, the Israeli press tends to be very scandal, scandal-driven, and uh, exploits the situation, but uh, I, I don't think this investigation can be dismissed. Finally, Malcolm, and especially for those who may have tuned in late, I, I think it's so important to again make the point, maybe in, in more of a direct fashion, as we're even closer to the next president of the United States being inaugurated. Uh, there has been, and one has to uh, acknowledge it, there has been, especially in certain segments of the community, and I would say especially among a large portion of this audience, great enthusiasm for the incoming president. And many people worked on his campaign um, from the same segment of our community. And many people are there in Washington today to celebrate. And I think, and this is a point you made uh, earlier in this conversation, but it might be an appropriate way to wrap things up for this week, I think it is important to consider that um, it, that it, one who sets high expectations will likely only be disappointed, and that we have to see and judge as the days go by over the next few weeks, um, you know, what type of president he's going to be and how he really is going to act vis-a-vis Israel. I think your tone has always been, and specifically since he was elected on November 8th, your tone has always been, let us be very cautious with our optimism and let us take a wait-and-see attitude. And I think that's a very important way to close out this conversation just hours before the new presidency. Well, I, I don't believe in wait-and-see. I want to see people be proactive. Uh, you are absolutely right about expectations, because then you know, we have to look at all of the issues, set priorities. We ourselves also, they have to do that. And then they have to decide what are the things that they're going to do. I mean, clearly for us, Iran is a priority. And, and uh, you know, what's going on in South America now, the revelations, things that I discussed here over recent weeks about what, what the Venezuela, the vice president, et cetera, et cetera, what we see about the aggressiveness of Iran in the region, what the potential outcomes from Syria with Hezbollah's growth and what those dangers pose to Israel, certainly the internal situation. And, and people have to be realistic. It takes a long time till everybody settles into the job. So if you're going to expect in the first days things to happen, it, it, you're going to be disappointed, and it's on a fair expectation. I think people right. have reason to, to be uh, optimistic about the administration's uh, policies. I know people write me and call me about some of the can, can, the uh, comments by and the hearings about what uh, people said. You know, you're not going to get 100% uh, pe- people who are going to be 100% supportive of everything you want, but but you have to look at the overall uh, orientation and the, the president's statement, as you said, through, throughout, and he has been consistent 
throughout about his position on Jerusalem, on support for Israel, and other things. And Mike Pence, the vice president, certainly a long history of support. So we have reason to be optimistic, but we have to be realistic, set priorities, determine what what, uh, we want us to be done first. Uh, Hopefully Congress, which is very uh, uh, aggressive right now, wants to be an activist Congress, create a record for the next two years. We should be supportive of them as well, work with them, and we'll be able to look back then and say that this was a a really important uh, turning point in many of the issues that we care about. Very important words to consider on a day like today. Uh, thank you very, very much. Uh, it'll be interesting to speak a week from now and uh, talk about the early days of the Trump administration. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. Have a good Malcolm Holmline is executive. Thank you, and a good so dish. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update Fridays here at JM in the AM.